Ukulele Tales, the ukulele podcast with John Atkins. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this, my personal highlight of the week. It's a chance to kick back and share some conversations that I've had with some of the ukulele greats. First off, as ever, a great big thank you to my lovely sponsors, Carla Brand Music. I've been using Carly Ukes for as long as I can remember, and they've never steered me wrong so far. In fact, they've done so much help with this podcast, including putting me in touch with a lot of the great names that you've heard me speak with. So a huge thank you to them. And of course, as you probably know by now, you can get a cool 10% discount on anything on the Carla website just because you listen to Ukulele Tales. Just visit my special link, www.carlabrand.com slash uketeacher, and they'll take 10% off anything you buy on their site, whether it's a brand new uke, a guitar, a banjolele, a set of strings, a capo, a strap, a U-bass, whatever it is you're after, just go to carlabrand.com slash uketeacher for that 10% discount. Now, did you hear my interview last week with Kevin Presbury? I think I was a bit hard on myself, to be honest. It actually turned out pretty good. Go back and listen to it if you get a chance, because despite my recording snafu, I got a great little chat with him all about the origins of his excellent All For You website, as well as his solo music career. No such snafu this week, though, you'll be pleased to hear. And it's just as well, as this is one of the interviews I've been looking forward to for the longest time. Now, Peter Luongo is a teacher, a performer, and basically an all-round ukulele great. If you've seen the movie The Mighty Uke, you'll no doubt remember him as the dynamic music teacher who flies his class of teenage ukulele players from Vancouver all the way to perform in Hawaii. And he's also, of course, very famous for being James Hill's main ukulele teacher. And we do talk a lot about their relationship in this interview. Now, Peter is just an absolute dynamo. And pretty much the whole time I was at NAMM, he and his legacy ensemble were somewhere or other hosting workshops, performing concerts, doing this and that. In fact, Peter was so busy that the only time I managed to actually pin him down for the interview was on the Saturday evening, right after his final workshop had finished, right at the end of the festival while they were sort of cleaning up and tearing the thing down around us. Now, as you'll hear when you listen, Peter is just one of those people who kind of bowls you over with their intelligence and passion. And it was such a pleasure to spend about 30 minutes in his company finding out a bit more about him. If you're interested to see him in person, he's actually going to be coming over to the UK for Gnuff, the Grand Northern Ukulele Festival, in about a week's time. And he'll be hosting a number of workshops, including one that is specifically for ukulele teachers, which sadly I won't be able to attend. But if you can, he's well, well, well worth checking out. So find the Gnuff website or Peter's own personal site and try and sign up for a class with him as they are very inspirational and incredibly educational. And I promise you, you really, really won't regret it. Anyway, here's my chat with Peter Luongo. So we're here. It's it's day three for me of Nam. The, the it's just finished. Yes, I'm exhausted, <laughs> and I'm uh, anyway. Well, I'm I'm knackered. I don't know what you you everywhere I've turned. You've been this this weekend. 
I've hardly done anything about you. You make me feel about 80 just watching you. <laughs> I was ready to fall asleep this afternoon, and this is like sort of 6 o'clock in the evening or something, and you've been working so hard. And even now, at the end, where most people are winding down, you've just done a two-hour lesson teaching adults how to play the ukulele from scratch, pretty much, right? Yep. Are you tired? No, I'm, I'm good now. I'm, I, you know, I get really energized by teaching. I mean, I, 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 um, I said to one individual at one point who had asked me about coming to a festival that I'd been at two years in a row, I said, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy the festival and it's great to see people, but the same people came to see me this year, saw me last year, and they're in the same place this year as they were last year. I need to see light bulbs go off. I need to see people learn. And when I do, I am absolutely energized by it. So, I mean, I've been going, my first session was at eight o'clock this morning. Uh, we've done two um, concerts, including a concert with uh, Victor Wooten's quartet and Molly Miller's trio, uh, which is was really high energy. Uh, I've done an interview. I've done that lesson today and for two hours. Yeah. I'm being interviewed by you. This is all stuff that energizes me. So I know I'm going to crash at about 7.30 tonight. Okay. But right now, I've, I know I feel I feel great. Good. I was going to say, I think you texted me at like two o'clock the other morning or something, I think. Yeah. Which was fine for me because I was jet lagged and, and wide awake as yeah. it turned out. But yeah. uh, I was sort of thinking, does this guy ever sleep? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Not enough. <laughs> not enough. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. So when you go home, are you just, like you say, you're just going to crash completely? Or... Oh, no, not at all. No. When, I, when I get home, I have uh, an ensemble of students that I'm working with and I'm going to take them on tour um, in mid-May. So I'm going to prep them. I've got some rehearsals with them. I'm also going to uh, have them perform in concert. So I have some work to do with them to get them ready for that show. So, nope, uh, quite the opposite. I'll be gearing it up. Wow, okay, amazing. No rest for the wicked, right? No, no I'm also, I also teach an online uh, youth class once a month. Um, uh, it's called the Ultimate Ukulele Program or Ultimate Ukes. And uh, I have that to prep for for the end of the month. Who, so, who takes that class? Um, uh, we, we, I have people from across the U.S., um, Canada, yeah. uh, that, that have signed up. So time zones across the U.S. I generally do it on a, a, usually the last Saturday of the month. And I go uh, from 9 o'clock Pacific time till noon, till 12. Um, and the idea of it is, is to teach the concepts and the arrangements that I've been using, for example, with the Legacy Ensemble. Yeah. So people that might be ins inspired or, or uh, inclined to want to be part of a, 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 an ensemble like that can sign up. They can learn it. If all they want to do is enhance their skills, they can learn that. If they're interested in, um, uh, you know, learning how to teach or learning some some uh, pedagogical notions, then then they gain all of that. So there's a variety of reasons. Some of them are aspiring to get into the legacy ensemble and taking the course to prep. I ask for recordings to come in from those who are so inclined and they'll, they will submit a recording of what they're playing um, around the arrangements that I introduce. Can we just talk about the legacy ensemble for a second? Sure. What is that, like a 20-piece band yeah. or something? 20 yeah. pieces, yeah. yeah, okay. And you guys, I was really shocked because I, firstly, I assumed they were all from Canada and they'd all come in with you. Um, but you said, no, they're from South uh, California, Northern California, basically all, all over the USA, right? All over Pacific, uh, Pacific Coast states, inland a bit to Nevada, and then across Michigan, 
um, and the Eastern Seaboard, Virginia, um, uh, Ma Massachusetts. So we have like literally across the U.S. and then some folks from Canada yeah. who were in an iteration of uh, this type of ensemble in Canada. And I just said, I don't have time to do it all. So they chose to join the, the American version of it, um, which is going great guns. I mean, these folks are meeting me once a month. Yeah. Uh, wherever we go, we've, as, as well, you- <laughs> This is what I was gonna say. Yeah. Then I was gonna say, oh, I see you just meet like once a year for NAM. But no, you guys fly from all over these places once a month for a concert or a show or- Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll, you know, if I'm looking at this month in January, we're in Vegas. We met for two days of rehearsals and then did a show at the California Hotel in Vegas. Um, in uh, February, we met in Seattle, uh, met for two days and then did a concert for uh, the community. Uh, in March, we were in Cleveland, Ohio, where we again met for two days and then performed at an event that James Hill and I put on with Ben Hessinger, uh, where the Great Lakes Ukulele Revival, these folks performed. April, NAM. Yeah. Uh, May, we'll do an online session. Um, and in June, we're going to meet in Michigan at the um, the Mighty Uke yeah, Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then actually, July is off and August, we're at Las Vegas. Okay. So you've been teaching. So what would you, What is your job? What would you say is your sort of day job? Are you a teacher? First I'm retired now. You're retired. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Right? <laughs> yeah, my when. For, for 34 years, I was uh, an educator, mostly as a school administrator. So other than my first two years, I was a school administrator. Yeah. But I always had this as part of my uh, desire to support kids. And frankly, as an administrator, to prove to teachers that, that I still have my teaching chops. So I would go and teach children. And, and the group that I'm best known for, I guess, is the Langley yes. Ukulele Ensemble, yeah. which I directed after school. And um, those children, those students were a product of the school system. And in some cases, the schools that I was at teaching during the day. So my job was as a school principal, vice principal, uh, educator. And then upon retirement in 2013, I, I ended up taking a position in private business for three years. And I had been asked by the president of the company to, to come on as a VP. And I did that for uh, three years and then I missed this. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I returned to it and um, just very much enjoy the opportunity to, to share what I can do and to share with others. And I hope inspire people to play, make music, to learn music and to, uh, to grow uh, themselves as as folks who have a sense of their own capacity and capability. Uh, I'm sure some of the people that you just heard play, the adults, did not believe that they could accomplish what they have. And they will go home after this experience and go, man, I need to pinch myself. I was just on stage performing with Victor Wooten, Molly Miller, Bernie Williams. Like, did, did I really do that? Who would have thought, you know, I'd, I'd be doing that. So. It, you know, there's more than just the music making. There's that as that aspect that is about inspiring them to be the best they can be at whatever they choose to do, whether they're seven or seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Um, about the uh, the Langley Institute, unless I misunderstood, 
It's still going, right? It is. Yeah. Our, our son is directing the ensemble that I used to on, uh, direct. I'm directing a group of younger kids because I don't have time to take both Legacy and Langley on. Yeah. Uh, so my our son is doing a great job with the Langley Ensemble. I've uh, got a younger group that feeds his group, and the association's still going. But, in fairness, there aren't as many schools doing ukulele anymore. Right. Oh, that's a shame. That's it a is. shame, yeah. It is. That, that's really sad, because in England, I feel like we're, we're finally discovering the ukulele at a young age. I know. But it's, it's going away in Canada? Well, what's happened is, you know, for this program to continue, as we have done it, so for it to be what people will know, the Langley Ukulele Ensemble from the Mighty Uke, they'll know yeah. James Hill. For, for people to arri uh, arrive at that level of proficiency on the instrument requires um, a, a, tr a program that grows players. Right. Well, a program that grows players requires educators. And as we've gone through, as I'm sure every country Western country in the world has gone through cuts in education. Yeah. One of the yeah. first places it seems to be cut is the arts. The arts, yeah, music. Yeah, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, the supports that were there to help teachers become proficient at teaching this program. Because, John, it's, it's not just I'll take an ukulele and I'll strum some chords and the kids will play or I'll play a few notes and the kids will play. If we truly want literacy, as you just saw in the session, it's about scaffolding the learning building a set of building blocks with the ukulele as the instrument utilized to, to develop an understanding of, of the theory of music, of how to read notation, of what is embedded in scales, what is embedded in chords, how those, uh, the chords and, and, and scales work together in a piece to make the piece one that is fit together as it is. So, these folks not only can play Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring, they can tell you the, the modulation it goes through, they can tell you the, the scale that's being played, they can tell you the harmony that's being utilized to play the scale, and they can tell you that the nature of the beat, the, the meter, the nature of the time signature all contribute to the sound. It's not just play what I tell you to. I'm not giving them tablature and saying, because I said play it this way. I'm giving them scores, and they're recognizing how the scores work together. So it's literacy. Well, that requires an educator who yeah. understands that. Well, that's no less um, uh, a skill that is specific than being a band teacher or a proper choral director. So how do you grow those? Well, you have to train them. Well, if you're not providing that training for teachers, where do you think they're going to get it? They're, they're, at this time... There's only one country I know of that offers ukulele at the university level, and it's What's not that? Canada. No, where, where is it? In Italy. In Italy, okay. Yeah. And you're uh, Italian. I am. Right? Okay. Yeah. Were you born in Italy? Or? I was born in, in uh, Vancouver to immigrant parents who had just immigrated. So I, I beat being Italian by about a year. First generation <laughs> First Canadian. generation yeah. Canadian yeah. Italian. Yeah. Do you go back there much at all? Uh, I try to get back there when I'm... Um, I've, I've been blessed uh, to be able to attend Ganuf. Uh Mary Krell is just a wonderful individual, puts on a great festival, and uh, I consider her a close friend. And so whenever I'm over at Ganuf, I try to, to make the hop over. Uh, I'm working with this fellow who's teaching at the university level uh, ukulele, and we're talking about putting a, a paper together that will be presented 
at, at uh, a conference in October. So perhaps I'll get back over and be able to visit the, the homeland. Yeah, great, 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 cool. Hey, I was actually watching the um, the uh, the Mighty Uke movie the other night. I'd never seen it before, and then I thought, well, if I can, I'm going to speak to you, I should probably check it out. Yeah. And I found it on YouTube. Yeah. And that it's um, it's funny because that must be what 15 years old. 2007. 2007. Okay, yeah. So 15, 16 years old, right? Yeah. If my math is right, yeah. It's close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because the narrative gist I think of that movie was like, hey, remember the ukulele? But it's still kind of going, and all these people are doing new stuff on it. But funnily enough, it actually seemed kind of dated to me. I was sort of like, oh, yeah, these people are. But now there's people doing more stuff or newer stuff on the ukulele. So maybe they need to be, there needs to be like a Mighty Uke 2 or something. I, I think that project was, first of all, I think the movie is outstanding, not just because yeah. I was in it. It was, it was award-winning. Great. But it encapsulated what the ukulele is about across the board. Yeah. So it, it caught it all. Okay, um, I don't think uh, you know. It's a little bit like how many Rocky movies can you make? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I don't think that it would be easy to make uh, a sequel to it, uh, Mighty Uke Two, un unless what you were going to do is revisit what happened. Now, this is my opinion. If you went to where that was and said, "Okay, here's how it's evolved since," yes, then you've got it. And I think John, you might be alluding to that. But I don't, I, I don't think Tony Coleman, the producer, was ever trying to say, here are the, you know, the top names in ukulele. I think what he was trying to say was, here's how the instrument has been embraced by community. Here's what it was at one time. Here's how it, it changed. But it's come back as something different than it was. It's not meant to be kitschy. It's actually meant to be something that has some legitimacy to yeah. it. And even if it's going to be fun to play it, it still has merit as an instrument that has a legitimacy to it. You know, if I, if I can go on from there. Yeah. I, I, I think one of the things that is, is both a blessing and a curse for the ukulele is that the way you learn it is going at work, to workshops. Now, slowly that's changing. Langley was a model that said, no, no, there's a system, use it, and you can go through the school system becoming musically literate, utilizing the ukulele. But for the most part, uh, you go to this festival, then that one, that one, take a course on jazz chords, take, take another workshop on playing chord melody, take another workshop on strum technique. Well, where do you ever actually learn to play the ukulele? Mm -hmm. Well, if you go to YouTube, you can see people, oh, you do this, and you do that. Well, there's 14, 15, 16, 100 different techniques. So where do you learn to play? Well, you have a great time going socializing at festivals, but you don't ever necessarily have a system. Can you imagine learning to play the piano that way? No, it's ridiculous. <laughs> or, or, that, yeah. or the trumpet, or yeah. the clarinet, or the violin, or any other instrument. So the the the... The positive of it is, hey, we're having a lot of fun. We're meeting a lot of people. We're playing. We're jamming. It. The down of it is it will never gain until these opportunities to, to bring it to a place where you see there is a system and a format and, and a structure to the learning. It won't have the legitimacy. And as James said in The Mighty Youth, James Hill said, and maybe that's not what we want. I don't know. But to me, it just seems... When I listen to a group of adults, like you've just heard, or a group of students, like I've led, 
and you can see what is possible with the instrument. Or you listen to a master like James Hill, mm -hmm. Jake Shimabukuro, um, Brian Tolentino, some of these great players across the world. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why couldn't it be legitimate? Why couldn't you have um, a method and a, and a progression of skills that would allow this to be an instrument that, you know, as some folks would say, well, it's a gateway to guitar. Well, no, it's, it's a gateway to ukulele mm -hmm. or ukulele. Like, just take it and embrace it and run with it. Let's talk about James Hill for a second. Sure. Because he was your pupil. Yes. From the age of 12 or so, I think. Right? Yeah, he was 11. Yeah. 11, okay, yeah. right. Yeah. And you've known him ever since, his, you know, his whole life, basically. Yeah. And yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so did you? Did he have lesson number one with you? Like he basically started with you? No, no. no okay. James actually started as a product of the Langley School District system, and so his first teacher was a fellow named Jamie, uh, Jamie Thomas. Jamie taught at at uh, Belmont Elementary School. He's now retired, but uh, James went in, and that was his first ukulele teacher in grade four. He was handed an ukulele, started to learn became proficient enough that Jamie Thomas came to me and said, this kid should be trying out for an ensemble. So the after school groups, Jamie, James Thomas, Jamie Hill, James Hill went into one of them. Too many J's. Too many, yeah. James Hill went into one of those programs. And within a year, he was auditioning for me, for the top group. Like he was just so good. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll never forget it. I mean, we were performing at the Sheraton Waikiki and uh, we had done a radio show, and we, so we did four four pieces. And James got up and he played. And we were sitting down having breakfast after. He said, "Mr. Luongo, Mr. Luongo, I did it." I said, "What'd you do, James?" I just played a perfect concert. He was twelve. Twelve years old. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, he he, and that tells you that what the young man is like. He he's he's just an absolute gentleman, but he's also driven to be as good as he can be. Yeah. And so, you know, the blessing that James was to me was that he forced me to have to up my game. And the blessing he's been to the ukulele community in Langley is he set a standard that allowed other kids, including my own son, to say, that's my standard. That's what I've got to uh, uh, target. That's where I've got to go. And, you know, frankly, I I think the the world is better that we've got um, an individual who's taken the ukulele as James has taken it and said, I'm embracing this. I'm going to run with this. And to his credit, he went back to Nova Scotia, met the grandfather of the program, Chalmers Doan, said, let's, let's update the program. And so James Hill's books now are, in fact, what Chalmers started, what I inherited, worked with, and what James has gone and revisited and put together as a program for teachers. Amazing. Yeah, you know what? Uh, this this speaks to James and who he is. So we would go to Waikiki every year, and we'd front and front and load the the concert schedule. So we do, you know, I mean, there were times we were doing three, four concerts a day, for eight days. So. You could do the math. I mean, it was between 15 and 20 concerts we'd do. We'd, we'd perform at the Sheraton, but then we'd go out into the community and do rotary shows. And we'd, you know, somebody would hear about us and say, could you come out to the, to the west side of the island and perform for, for the folks out there? Well, yeah, yeah, we got it, we got it. So James's father said, well, look, James is in swimming, and he's a really good swimmer. 
And so he's got a competition. He's got to be home for the competition. I said, no problem. When's he got to be home? So we set the, the tour based on front end loaded so that we just did a couple of concerts after James left. So we did the concerts. And then after he left, we were going to go to the residence where they used to film the show Magnum P.I. We were going to go to a special dinner. We were going to go uh, swimming at a special private beach. These are all things that we had been given as opportunities. And we had one other really neat opportunity. So four of the fun things that we were going to get to do, we were going to go swim with the dolphins. Oh, nice. Right? Yeah, yeah. So those were the fun things that we were going to do. We were doing them after James left. Yeah. Okay. So James is saying, you know, look, Mr. Luongo, I, I'm sorry I have to leave, but I, I, I'm going to need to leave, you know, tomorrow. I said, James, no problem. Um, I'm going to bring you on the bus and we're going to go to the airport and I'll be with you and stay with you until you get on the plane. So James and I are sitting on the bus and we're talking about the tour. And here's what James says to me. Man, this was the best tour ever. We had done 15 concerts and the four fun things were coming after he left. And what did he say? Man, this was the best tour ever. He had been on six tours by that time. Yeah. This was the best tour ever. What does it say? That, that man's about making music. Yeah. That man's yeah. about just loving being able to, to create and play and, and work at making music in a special way. You know what? I love the guy. He's, he's the third son. I mean, oh. he's got terrific parents. I love both his parents <laughs> and his sister, but he's the third son. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Really cool. I am so blessed because we're now doing a bunch of stuff together again. And I've said to, to Sandy, to my wife, you know, this is, I'm loving this. Like you talk about giving me energy. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time we're going to. We just did the event in Cleveland together. I just left on a high. It, I mean, it, it's so much fun. And, and it's, it's not, a, it hasn't been a pupil teacher relationship for years. It's just two really good friends. We get on the phone. We're going to have a 10 minute conversation an hour and a half later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's being able to talk about, about stuff and about how music connects to life. And it's just, he's, um, yeah, he truly is uh, a blessing in, in my life. Oh, that's really, that's really lovely to hear, Peter. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. You bet. Um, I guess, can I just ask you, normally I would have sort of in, opened the chats with this question, but how did you get started in music? I'm assuming it was a while ago, right? What, what was your intro? Yeah, so uh, I started um, in music. Let's see, my parents got married in 19... 55. That's when I got started in music because my dad said to my mom, we're going to have a son and he's going to play the accordion. We oh. can have as many daughters as we want after that, but we're going to have a son and that son's going to play the accordion. Yeah. And so two years later, when I was born in 1957, uh, my dad said, okay, got the son. Uh, eight years later, uh, we passed by a, an exhibit where they were uh, promoting playing the accordion and he looked at me and said you want to play the accordion right <laughs> and I said sure dad and so I started playing the accordion as a boy and you know what I, I tell this story because the there was an event today at NAM where uh, Victor Wooten and Molly Miller and, and Bernie Williams all got up and they all talked about how they got into music every one of them talked about family hmm. right well my dad um, was was an immigrant Italian in Canada. And he spent in 1963, 
$500 on an accordion. $500 on an accordion in 1963. I hadn't played yet. Yeah. He bought the instrument saying, I want my son to play a good instrument. Five hundred dollars in nineteen sixty-three was a lot of thousands. Money. I mean, tens of thousands, right? Lots of money. Yeah, yeah. And it was an Italian-made instrument. I still have it. It's oh, you do? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll never sell it. Yeah. I, I pray that that stays in our family forever. And quite frankly, um, my dad wanted a son that would play Italian folk songs, and so that he could sing and he could dance. But that music that he never got a chance to have would be part of our family. My brother is also very musical. He's a he's a, a drummer and a guitar player. And for years, he and I played uh, in in the house band at an Italian cabaret restaurant. Started when I was thirteen, mm. and played till I was in my late teens. And then we moved on and did gigs till I got married. And then I said, "Well, this isn't the life of uh, that I want uh, playing every Friday and Saturday." And that's when I decided I wanted to be a music teacher was in that time. And I went to the University of British Columbia. They said, you have to take a course in classroom music instruction if you're in the music faculty. And the course featured recorder and ukulele. Yeah. And the ukulele teacher was a good friend of Chalmers Doan. And he and I connected. And he basically gave me my start and said, I think that you've got what it takes and encouraged me to go to Langley, and I said, I'm in. And uh, since then, to 1979, I started 79. teaching, and I bought in hook, line, and sinker. And uh, I'll tell you, success is a great motivator. I was blessed. I had a group of kids who wanted to learn music, who were keen to, to soak up what I gave them. And as a rookie teacher, they ate it up. We managed to perform successfully. We started a program after school that gained success. I said to the kids, look, your hard work, I'm going to reward it. We're going to go to Hawaii. In five years, we're going to go to Hawaii. In five years, we went to Hawaii. Actually, it was four years. We beat the goal. In four years, we went. And after that, because of how Langley was structured, they had thousands of kids playing the ukulele in their schools. Yeah. Twice a week, they were getting ukulele instruction uh, all year long because that's how we ran the program. So all of a sudden kids are hearing, well, that's a group that goes to Hawaii. I want to join that group. So I'm getting the, not not just anybody, I'm getting the kids that are really keen, the James Hills. Mm -hmm. And they're coming and they're keen and I'm getting the opportunity to work with some fantastic kids and, and they're motivated and the ceiling kept, the bar kept getting raised. And ultimately, it led to a house gig at the Sheraton Waikiki for 25 years. Incredible. Can I ask, when you started the ukulele for the first time, yep. what did you learn to begin with? Because I'm very guilty. Like you were saying about people kind of now they learn at workshops. Yep. And there's just kind of a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, lesson number one, C, A minor, F and G and strum in 4-4. Four, four. But I, I feel like you may, must have had a more sort of. Yeah. Standardized training. Absolutely. Yeah. It was Chalmers Stone's program. It was it was a program um, basically uh, that James has now taken and adapted. It was ukulele in the classroom. And it's founded on the notion, and, and I need to tell you, we were in D6 tuning in Canada. Okay. Not C yeah. not C six. It was founded on the no on the notion that you're gonna gain and this was sort of the the piece that I brought to it. I, I wanted them to gain a level of understanding of the literacy of music. So it was beyond 
just note reading or beyond just playing scales. It was beyond ear training, although all, the, all those were components. It was a sequence so that the, the piece of music I selected wasn't based on uh, me just liking the song and I'll teach you the song. Mm -hmm. It was based on, as you saw here, I've taught you to play the F scale. Okay, you can note read those, you can read the notation of notes up to the high F. I'm now going to introduce you to a piece that features the notes that I've taught you, that you are proficient at, and the rhythms that I've taught you. And how will I teach you? Well, I'm going to teach you partly by hearing it. So partly by ear. I'm going to teach you to use the notation. I'm going to teach you by understanding that there in the key of F, there's an F chord that's the 1, the B flat, the 4, the C7, that's the 5, 7. If we go to a minor, it's probably going to be the relative minor of D minor. And all of a sudden, the music has a fit. You understand how it fits. Well, then you play it, as you saw in the session, and it's not... I, I've, I want to teach you a song because it's a cool song. I'm teaching a song that's giving you a chance to employ all the skills I've taught you. So it's based on scaffolded understandings and learnings that leads to the ability to play. So we're not faking it. You, you have the ability to do all this stuff because you understand how to make music. Mm -hmm. So the Langley Ensemble, get it? Mm -hmm. We would go and do a presentation for businesses where we'd say, we're going to do a leadership seminar. And here's the leadership seminar. I'm going to teach the kids a song in 10 minutes that they will sing in four-part harmony, perform instrumentally in four-part harmony with an intro, an outro, a solo, and it'll be accompanied with a bass. 10 minutes. And the kids won't know the song before I introduce it. And the audience would say, there's no way. And I'd say, watch this. Set the timer. 10 minutes later, they're playing a piece in four-part harmony, instrumental, vocals, with a solo, backed up, with the ensemble playing, an outro, intro, the entire piece. Well, that's based on a foundation of understanding music that was taught. It's not fake it. No. And so because the students worked as a team, because I, I had talented people and knew how to utilize those skills, and the students understood their roles, because they trusted each other and believed each other, trusted their director, and because they had an underlying set of skills, it was no problem. I knew they'd be successful before they started. Here's what's neat. The, the folks in the leadership seminar were asked, allowed to ask questions. Guess what the first question was? And they'd look right at me and say, don't you answer it. Point to the kids and say, did you know the song before you started? And the kids would all look and go, no, no, we, we just learned it here. It looked like a trick. It looked like magic. Yeah, yeah. But it's not magic. It's what professional musicians do, what gigging musicians do. What capable musicians do is they can, they can create on the spot because of understanding. And that's, that's taking the ability to make music with kids to the highest level when they're playing like pros. So, I, I mean... I, I obviously have a passion for it. You can hear it. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, fact, the fact that we can do this with adults too, we can teach anybody to play this way, but it takes a teacher and a student who's committed. And if you got those ingredients, man, you can go places. Well, Peter, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. All the best.
Amazing guy, right? Very passionate and intelligent chap and a perfect gentleman to boot. You know, I'm really upset that I won't get the chance to catch up with him at Gnuff next week. But we're in the middle of a massive house move right now. And sadly, it's just not going to be possible. As ever, though, I still love hearing from you guys. So if you want to drop me an email, please do so to uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. And I'd also really love some suggestions for guests, as I think I've done so, so many of the very top names that I'm kind of starting to run out of ideas a little bit. So some suggestions would be nice. Still got a few great interviews that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. But if you've got any ideas for ones in the future, that would be awesome. So send me a message to uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com. And I do read and reply to everything that you guys send me eventually. Uh, you know, if I'd made this show fortnightly when I started, I'd be well into my second year by now. And I'd have a very cushy life. Annoyingly, though, it seems I don't like to make things easy for myself. Uh, don't forget, if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can always sign up to my Patreon page just to throw a few dollars my way. It'll help ensure that I can carry on putting out this podcast for you. And you guys will get um, some cool occasional bonus material from some of my longer interviews. And you'll occasionally get the chance to ask questions for some of my upcoming guests as well. Um, and of course, please do try and spread the word about Ukulele Tales to your ukulele communities and uke-loving friends and family as well, as that really does help me out. Thank you so much. And thank you once again to Carla for sponsoring the podcast. Remember, you guys can get a cool 10% off anything at all on the Carla website, and I do mean anything, just by visiting my special link, carlabrand.com slash uteacher. Um, they have some great banjolelis in there. They have U-bases, any kind of ukulele you could possibly want. And, of course, all the accessories and the sundries, all the trimmings, whether it's uke strings or straps or tuners, capos, whatever you're after, carlabrand.com slash teacher is the place to go, and you'll get 10% off just for listening to the podcast. Anyway, I'll be back same uke time, same uke channel next Wednesday with another great interview for you. And, as ever, it'll be available in all the usual podcasty places. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. Okay then, until next time, I love you all and I wish you the best.